0: Seated. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. I put that in there because I forgot to say that. But I'm 71 and I forget a lot of things. You know I mean? <laughs> but He is risen indeed. Amen. Bless you. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I really like um, paintings, art, art paintings, that give this illustration of, you're looking at something natural being painted, and then there's this kind of, they don't call it an illusion, but what's, painting what's really happening. There's a real famous one that, that brings tears to my eyes uh, about the Vietnam War Memorial, and it's a painting of a soldier alive, you know, who survived Vietnam, and he's got his hand on the wall, and then in the wall is all these guys in their uniforms who had died and that he knew. And of course it's making that connection, you know that his heart is always gonna be connected to that. But one of my famous, famous religious ones, that some people don't like, um, because it's pretty churchy on some levels, but it shows a, a priest And he's at an altar, and he's holding up the bread, you know, like do this morning. And there's a congregation around him, you know, people at at the Eucharist. But then above him are all these angels and saints, and, you know, and, uh, and underneath him is, he's got crushing Satan's head under his feet, you know, and then way up is Christ on the throne. And the painter is saying, look, here's a truth that when we, when we do something spiritual, if you will, or religious, whatever you're laying on, in the natural, there's something going on in the unseen. You know, we confess in the creed that we believe in the seen and the unseen. And they're they're both both real. And um, John, in his gospel, uh, throughout John's gospel, has this theme going on about the seen and the unseen that we read about today in the story of Thomas. A lot of stories in John's Gospel about healing the blind. You know, that, that they couldn't see, but now they can see. The famous one is, is blind Bartimaeus. And uh, the word, therefore, uh, you know, he spit and put, made mud and put it in his eyes, remember? And uh, the, the word, therefore, made him see, is actually implies that he didn't have any eyes. Not that he was blind. He didn't have eyes. And how did God create us? Mud, (laughs) right? Water and mud. So what you have is Jesus is being revealed as the one who created us, as the creator God, and uh, in doing that miracle. It's just a little bigger than just being made to see. But what John is really saying in that story is, we all need eyes. Christ, God needs to create in us eyes so that we can see not just what's going on naturally, but what's going on in the spiritual realm or in the the heavenly places. And then what does Jesus say about the Pharisees? He says, you have eyes, but you don't see. You don't see what's going on. You've allowed this religious system that you've created, even on trying to be holy. The Pharisees weren't setting out to be miserable. They were setting out to be holy for God. That's what they were all about. The holier, the better in their minds. They, you know, <laughs> So that was the sign. How did you know you were righteous? He did all these things. And Jesus comes, and it's really not a new teaching. You can find other rabbis that say it. No, you've got to get your heart right. <coughs> but in order to do that, you see. You know, what? If, again, you see it in 1 John and, and the beginning of John. You were in darkness, but the light came. But well, what happens when the lights turn on? You can see. In fact, John really implies there that you don't know you're in the dark until the light comes on. You. <laughs> you're just, you're just wandering around thinking this is normal. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of a sudden, the light comes on, and you see things, and some of the things you don't want to see. <laughs> we moved into an apartment in New York, which uh, traumatized my wife for the rest of her life. I still think she's getting healed. And um, <laughs> we came into this apartment as a brownstone, and it wasn't high-rise luxury. $8,000 a month apartment. It was, it was like seminary housing, cheap. And it had, the, the uh, it's called a Pullman apartment. Do so you know what that is? It's a long hallway, and the rooms are off, and then it just opens up into a kitchen. So he walked in, the entire hallway is dark, You know, kind of feeling our way down this hallway. And we get to the kitchen light, and she flicks it on, and this beautiful black floor, All of a sudden, went like this, as thousands of roaches proceeded to clear out of the kitchen. See, you don't always want to see what happens when the light comes on, you know. So we spent the next two weeks getting rid of roaches, and uh, or trying to get rid. You never get rid of roaches in New York, but that's. So he's coming to say, "Look, you need to Pharisees see who I am. You don't see that." That's the condemnation, if you will, for, against the Pharisees, or the charges, you don't know that I'm the son of God. And they ended up killing him for that. They killed him because he said he was the son of God. That's, what they, that's the charges they brought against. They had to get somebody else to do it. So failure to see the unseen can lead you to crucify God. Think of that. If you don't see who Jesus really is, you can end up saying, "Crucify him." You know. Or if somebody came around today and said, "I'm God," you would call the Melbourne Police Department, and they'd have him committed or at least medicated, right? See, because you would fail. But that's a natural thing. But what's happening there is, he said, "You." You don't see. And then the resurrection appearances, which we're reading now. Uh, every day and every Sunday you're going to hear about these post-resurrection. What's the common theme? They don't recognize them. Right? They don't see them. road to Emmaus, which I think is next week. I'll give you some help. The key is with that story <laughs> is they're walking down the road. Jesus comes along and they don't see him. So they don't recognize him. Can you imagine that? They just spent three years with the guy 24-7. And they don't recognize him. Why? Because they didn't have eyes to see. Their eyes had to be open to recognize him. And where do they finally recognize him? The breaking of the bread in the Eucharist. Know how many people go to the Eucharist and don't see Jesus? They don't realize that he's really present there. In fact, that's one of the real ways in the scriptures, is in the breaking of the bread. In the Eucharist, you see Jesus. And again, failure to see him, which we can all do, can lead you to crucify him. And John's trying to tell us that to be a follower of Jesus, and I know what your pastor is really pushing this, what is it's discipleship. That's what it is. To be a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. And to per- you participate in his life. And to do that, to do that, you first have to see him, recognize him, and then you begin to live his life, which is giving, uh, giving up your life for others. And it's living in the unseen. And you can do that if you see the unseen. That the unseen is where we're going to spend eternity. That's where we're headed. And everybody's headed there. You can try not to get there, but it ain't going to work. The vitamins, the exercise, you're going to leave the scene, if you will, and enter into the unseen. If the, if the question is, is which unseen are you going to be a part of? But that will be. And it's to live knowing that. That can give, people say, well, what's that courage? You know, like martyrs? How do they get the courage to do that? Because they're focused on the unseen. They already know where they're going. They just know when, and you don't. I mean, that's always being held with help from you is when and how. And some people, you know, if you're facing, they're going to kill you. If you're a Christian, you know where you're going, so go for it. Jesus said, don't be afraid of people that can kill your body. Don't worry about that. Why? It's going to happen. Anyway. So he's trying to tell us where we're to live. We live in the seen, but we also live in the unseen. It's not either or for now. We're in both all the time. You, can't, you don't deny the scene, but you'll run into people like that. You know, like, and they're just spiritual nutjobs. I hate to be honest, but they're just are goofy. You know? And they tell you things, and it, it's goofy. And, it's, and then it, they're like enemies to the gospel, because people look at them and say, you're goofy. I you don't want anything to do with you. Because they kind of leave reality. They used to say they're so. So heavenly that they're no earthly good. You know, we live in both worlds. You know, I remember. I remember once I "Oh, year, This is years ago." This mother had just come to the Lord, and her son was who was was not a believer at all. You know, he he was the definition of non-believer, and he's working on his car, right? And the hood comes down, and he gets his fingers caught between the hood. You know how that painful that is? So what does this goofy mother do? She stands around with her hands in the air going, Praise you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. and so says and she's going, just don't believe, just don't believe. <laughs> like, ah and I said, if he ever gets set free, she's gonna meet Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> that goofy kind of you know, where people come up with you the flu. <laughs> You know, I said, "Geez, you have the flu." No, no, I, I don't. I, I believe I don't. Well, you can believe all you want. You got it. You know, that's that's. See, it's not you live in real. I believe I've been healed. I can deal with that. But the seen and the unseen are real. Jesus really died. You know, really died. So here's Thomas comes along in this story. Jesus appears and he says. I don't want. I'm not going to believe until I touch his wounds. I want you to hang on that. I'm going to touch his wounds, and then I'll believe. And for that statement, he's become Thomas the doubter. But he's really not doubting. He's really not doubting. He's got. There's nothing wrong with what he's asking. I'm glad you've seen him. I'm glad you do this, but I will not believe. Until I touch his wounds, see his wounds. Now he says, why the wounds? Why is it the wounds that Thomas, why not till I see him do a miracle? Or until I see him and he gives me a hug. You know, why, why the wounds? Do You ever think of that? He's resurrected. But he says, no, I need to touch his wounds. The power of God, the power of God is in the wounds of Jesus. The power of God is not in military might. The power of God is in humble obedience, even unto death. If you want to be in the power of God, it's coming to humility. And the wounds, it's the woundedness of Jesus that defeats death and evil. Jesus could have blown the head off of Satan. Right? Right? Revelation just says he just blows at him and he puffs him into. Uh, at one point, he says, I could call down 100,000 million angels, make mincemeat of Pilate. You know, it could have done all of that, but he didn't, did he? He didn't say a word. He was silent. He shows woundedness. To know, to look at Jesus, which I believe he's God, is you're seeing God's power on the cross. That's where the power of God is. And that's true today. The blood of Jesus is the power of God. You know, there's old Pentecostal hymn, right? There's power. Wonder, work, and power. Where? In the resurrected Jesus? No. In the blood of Jesus. It's woundedness. You know, I've just come to this conclusion lately that it's a great thing to know you're a sinner. It's better than knowing you're a saint. Because you're not, obviously. You're in the process. But know why it's a good thing to know you're a sinner. Because then you know you need a Savior. So if you don't know you're a sinner, you don't know you need a savior. Perfect people don't need saviors. Perfect people kill their savior. People think they're perfect will kill you. One of the dangers is with Christianity when you get it in your head that you're righteous, and you meet somebody unrighteous, you have to kill them and maybe eat them, totally destroy them. Look what Christians do to Christians who fall. If a pastor falls, what do they do? Right? Do they cover his sin? No, they tell the New York Times. They expose him or her until they're gone and dead. Okay. Now, the mistake is, is that pastor usually, not that he sinned, but he didn't deal with his sin. Okay. He was probably judging other people, and calling us to perfect ourselves. And that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I need a savior, and I have one. That's the gospel. I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect. It's great to find out we're wounded. And if you really want, I discovered in my life is, the people that I'm closest to in my walk with the Lord are the people where we met each other in our woundedness, not in our perfection. We knew each other's woundedness and our brokenness, and we needed each other. See, so I've had it with the, uh, the, what I call the self-loathing improvement programs. You know that somehow you, you just get to loathe yourself, how wretched you are and terrible and awful, and, you know, and then you've got to make yourself better. I'm sick of people telling me how to make myself better. I've 71, I've tried it all. I'm, this is where I am. Finally, come to conclusion. This is what I got. If I try to improve myself anymore, I'll be dead before that. And that's the ultimate getting better, by the way, because dead people don't sin, you know? They don't do much. They just, you know, they don't pray more, read the Bible more. They're just dead. And that's when God can really work in you. Because that's when he's going to raise you to eternal life. And it's going to have nothing to do with the fact that except you were dead. And you believed in him. You believed in what he did. I don't think God wants us to be self-loathing. I think God wants us to understand we're sinners. And I want us in that understanding that we're sinners and we're wounded and we're broken to understand his love for us. My prayer has been I said, that Christians come to understand how incredibly loved they are. And nothing can stop it. You cannot stop the flow of God's love. See? And you've just got to, what Christians need to do is stop hiding from them. You know? Stop, it's, it's, it's just receiving it. It's just there. God loves you. And he's always loved you. We're baptizing little uh, Grayson Cruz tomorrow. And uh, God loves him already. He doesn't love him because he's getting baptized. He loves them. He loved them before the foundation of the world. God's plan for salvation for little Grayson, who's only a few months old, was while he was in before he was in his mother's womb. You understand that? We're just responding. That's always my thing. Why are we going to wait off till he's fourteen? See? Why don't teach him how to receive God's love all through the thing, so he can grow up not self-loathing himself? Say, just you're in, kid. Now, is he going to get it right, like we did, you know? <laughs> I always think it's amazing that parents who failed at everything in their life try to teach their kids how not to fail. It's an amazing, you see. <laughs> I just love them. Just love them. Kids who love don't rebel. Yeah, they do, but they do little rebellions. So they're loved. I think the people that are most broken, it wasn't that they didn't have parents that tried to make them better, usually with really bad ways. But there are children who didn't know they were loved. And they went and searched out in life to try to find love, try to fill that that emptiness. And the wound just got bigger and bigger and bigger until finally God came along. You following? And then they didn't have to fill that big hole with drugs or sexual promiscuity or, or wealth or whatever it is they were trying to do it. They just, I'm loved. And I'm worthy to be loved. You're worthy to be loved. You're worthy to be loved. You don't have to earn it. <laughs> now, I'm glad what happened for me, I don't know about you, when I discovered that, Jesus didn't let me stay where I was. That love began to transform me. And the biggest transformation is that I could now love. I didn't know how to love. I knew how to use people to make me feel good. But to learn how to love, to learn how to give your life for another, you know? One of the blessings of having children is that you discover it's not about you. The sudden awakening. And uh, now they come to believe it's about them. You know, you have to shake that one up. But it's not about you. It's that and the joy comes in the self-giving. As hard it is, as it is, at 3 o'clock in the morning after you haven't slept, and the little cherub who you have made next to God is wanting to eat, there's still that joy in giving to them. Well, we're to be that way with each other. That's what it means to, what it means to be the church, I believe, is to be the people who have received the love of God, and now they're going to give it to somebody else. It's not rocket science. But Thomas shows us the way. Thomas shows us the way. He appears and Jesus goes and says, Oh, you doubting idiot. What's wrong with you? Don't you remember the Bible study I gave you about all of this? I told you at least 12 times that I was going to be crucified and rise from the dead. You're out. I'm going with somebody else. That's not what he did, did he? He says, here, go ahead. Touch my wounds. Put your finger in my side, if that's what. And Thomas becomes, in, out of touching the wounds, not seeing the resurrected Jesus, in touching the wounds, he's able to proclaim first guy ever. My Lord and my God. That God is a human and with us. He led the way for us to not only touch His wounds, but to touch the woundedness of each other. And knowing that in that touch, God reveals something unseen. About us, the unseen becomes real, and all of us have an unseen. Everyone you sit in here, there's an. Un- I don't know, some of you, you have an unseen world. But we really grow together when we expose that unseen to each other. The unseen that Jesus knows and loves, by the way. And it doesn't matter what problem you're going through, what you're struggling with, what hurt you have, what sin you've committed. In fact, am going to write, you know, confess your sins one to another. Confess your woundedness. Confess your brokenness. Confess your hurt. Confess, confess you know, we, we have failure more in common than success. You know? and I just don't listen to much, but people get up to me who tell me how to live and they're not doing it you know, they give you Christianity that's too hard when it's about love that human condition in each one of us that we can come to Jesus with and we can come to each other with Thomas is going to go from that moment, he's going to go to India, and he's going to die. He's going to be martyred. And I think it's sad that they remembered him as Thomas the doubter. I think it was Thomas, the real human, the real person. Thomas, the one who declared to Jesus, my Lord and my God. May this church grow in that knowledge. That this is a church who, because of love, is speaking to the world. This is God. This is who God is. And you'll find them here. Not when you get your act together. You know, it's like that examine yourself before you receive communion. There'd be nobody coming. You know what I mean? You don't get communion when you're perfect. You get communion because you're not perfect. It's like, as soon as you uh, get yourself together, I'll give you your medicine. Otherwise, you're going to die. I think it's good to give the medicine before they die. (laughs) Brothers, amen? Amen. You see that in Christianity? Don't become that kind of church or that kind of Christian. Become the one that says, I'm going to love you, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you out of knowing I'm loved and I'm forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.